evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio. Your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode here. As you guys know, the podcast Mahoning Drive-In Radio is the only podcast that is dedicated to the revival of the drive-in culture that we all love so much. Welcome to the show. Of course, I got multiple co-hosts today with Mark and Jeff. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. Hello, guys. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going to take a little trip down memory lane, as we often do on the podcast. How was your guys' holidays? We were literally coming into a new year. It was a weird one for me. I'm just getting over being sick, like weird sick. <laughs> so were yeah. you guys able to stay healthy at least over Christmas and New Year? I was, yeah. I didn't have any problems. I was just low-key since my parents are both gone now. I just kind of hung out at the house. So it was a nice, quiet Christmas, but I enjoyed it. Health-wise, you know, no problems. That's great. That's great. How about you, Mark? Well, I always say I could, as far as I know, I could be a ticking time bomb inside, but I feel fine. Uh, (laughs) As far as I know, I'm, Uh as far as I know, I'm great, but I'm no position. (laughs) Yeah. Holidays for us were fine. We just hung out and uh, spent some time with Val's family and uh, went to the movies a little here and there, but low key, mellow, which is my favorite way to spend any day. Let alone that's great. Fun. I mean, yeah, that's that's the plus yeah. of, you know, I, I, I kind of joked when the pandemic first hit, I was like, oh, we got to stay inside. What a big change. <laughs> but but now it's a situation where it's like we're making sure uh, or, or hoping that everybody's staying uh, happy and healthy out there as as we are now in the new season we're, we're kind of revving up for the new season because once right. the new year hits that's when we start booking that's when we start planning that's when we start getting getting real so right. what is it now jeff two months down two down four to go as of you know, a week ago beautiful thing so Got a lot to look forward to and be thankful uh, for this year, for sure. But we wanted to, the last time we were together, I believe it was just Mark and myself, and we we lost a member of the family in Gene DeSantis, uh, one of our original projectionists at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. And we touched on it, but we didn't go deep talking about Gene because we wanted to wait for Jeff to get here since he has a little more history with Gene than Mark and myself. But from my experience with Gene, he he was always the happy, kind of go lucky older guy, you know. And like yeah, uh, yeah. is mentioned in the documentary, he's the connect was the connection to the past that we weren't able to experience. There's this kind of gap there, and knowing that he was in the projection booth the night that the the theater opened, that kind of puts a special badge on him. You know, where we we always held him up on this pedestal of, wow, he's like one of the true, true originals. Yeah. And he he always had a, a an amazing uh, sense of humor. He was always great with conversation. He was never a guy that as he got older, kind of lost his touch. He could sit there and have great conversations with him. He'd call and we'd talk. And it was never a situation where he was kind of losing it later in his life. He always had that, that no. spark. So he was always very sharp. Yeah. Yeah. 
What is your um, relationship with Gene? When did you first meet Gene? Was he there when you first came into things at the Mahoning? Yeah, he was. I first saw the Mahoning in the year 2000. And then I took over 2001. But that first year that I was up there, he was still the projectionist. And I was told that he was going to retire the following year. And that's how I got the job as projectionist and manager was because Gene was leaving. But in 2000, the year before I started, I went up and saw him and talked to him. And I'll tell you what, even at that time, of course, he was older. Yeah. Now he was he was he was 93 when he passed away. So take 20 years off of that. You know, he was around 73 at the time and he was still running around and, you know, threading up and, you know, getting the food at that time and had a platter getting the platter working and stuff and uh he didn't miss a step so he was active i mean right up until he wasn't there anymore that's incredible and of course he told me you know about when the place was younger you know uh, how it was built etc etc i'd like to remember some exact conversations but overall he just told me a lot about the place uh as far as its past goes yeah and yeah. you, you guys, uh, the the audience, the most of you guys know Gene from the documentary. His bit is always amazing, and uh, you know he's he's beloved. And that was the thing. Whenever we talked, was I always just felt that I had to pick his brain about how things worked back then and how things were different in some ways. And it was always funny to him because you know, in a lot of ways. The beauty of the Mahoning is that it, it hasn't changed. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, it's we could we could have conversations, be like, yeah, that thing is still there. <laughs> yes, it is. Just about everything except the speakers on the poles is still there. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, he he lost his wife by the time that I had met him, and he he was one of those guys that was just, even though he was kind of stuck in his house, his mobility wasn't great. I know he had a caretaker for many, many years. He just always seemed like he was uh, super happy and, you know, always excited to talk and never seemed like, uh, you know, not not to say like, uh, well, we've all run into some some people that don't want to necessarily share their life story with you when they get older. But he he loved going to the diner and having conversations and talking to the waitresses and things like that. yeah. I mean, we should all be so lucky. What'd you say, 93? Yeah, it was 93. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah, we should all be so lucky to live that long a life and, and be that lively, you know? Right. Be, that, be in that good a shape yet at 93. Yeah. 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 Mark, did you, did you ever get to meet Gene? You know, sadly, I never did. I think it was because he never, he never came out to the Mahoning while I was there in the era that I've been there. That I never yeah, well, had a chance to meet him. I always, you know, heard you guys talking about him, and I think I, I you know, I, I feel like I know him as much as anybody who watched the documentary does. But I, no, I never got to talk to him in person. I used to ask him quite often to come out and visit us, you know, and see us, and he never did. Except one time he came. All the time I used to ask him to. He came out one time about maybe four or five years ago. Matt still would have been with us at that time, and Virgil was here also, yeah. but I don't know that they saw him. He wasn't I here did. Yeah. You did. Okay, good. Because he wasn't here that long, and I think the only reason he came is because I kept bugging him, too, because I think it hurt him a little bit to come out there and not be able to do anything. He didn't even get out of the van 
because even at that time, four or five years, he couldn't walk that well unless he had a walker. So he came out and they opened the van door so that he could see out and everything, the, mm -hmm. the big sliding door they opened so he could, but he never got out of the van. And I think partially it was because it hurt him that he could be there and, and, and not do what he used to do or not take part in anything. And that's what I always told Virgil, when I go, I'm not coming back because it would hurt too much because I love the place and I've been there so long that when I can no longer physically be there, I probably will not come back to visit. So I understand what Gene was going through. I understand that, but hopefully right. I've got a few more years yet. But like I said, this oh, is yeah. about Gene and I wish he would have come out more often, but at least he came out once about four years ago. At least he came out once. Yeah. And he fed our spirit, you know, just like the oh, yeah. documentary highlights kind of the spirit of our team. He was, he was a big part of it. And the idea that we were upholding somebody's life work and many, many people's life work that have been here and gone at the theater. It's, uh, right. it's something we hold, hold very, very uh, true to our hearts and it's important to us. So he will certainly be missed. I told the kids we, we should put together a little, uh, nice little framed picture and put it up on the wall in the concession stand. So he always has a, a place at the theater. Yeah. I was over at his house about a week ago and uh, we did we did get some stuff from him. Surprisingly, he had very little left. I thought, oh boy, there's going to be tons of drive-in stuff all over the place. Yeah. There was not much there. He had gotten rid of just about everything over the years there. We got a few things which are on my desk in the projection booth. If you guys stop by, you can see what he gave us. Oh, beautiful. For the career that he had, he had gotten rid of just about everything. Like I said, I was surprised how little there was, but grateful nonetheless. And the one thing I do want to mention about his one-time visit about four years ago is he parked right across the door from the projection booth so that we opened the door, he could see in and see the projectors. And yeah. I like that because that's what he liked. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I, in the post, you know, we said it, it's, it's that light that shined through the projection booth, that, you know, through the portholes all those years. And yes. in a weird way, everybody that has contributed to the Mahoning, it's, that's their light. That's their light continuing to shine. So it's a beautiful right. thing. Rest in peace, Gene. You will be missed. And hopefully uh, we can keep your spirit alive and, and do right by you. Amen. Yes. Agreed. Four, three, two, one. Man has conquered the moon. The world has witnessed the epic journey of Apollo 11. Now the stars lie ahead. Now take another momentous journey, journey to the far side of the sun. But what happens when man boldly ventures into outer space and discovers a vast mystery on his incredible journey to the far side of the sun? A planet that is an identical twin to our Earth, where you and every human being have an absolute double, where you can meet yourself face to face on A Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, the astounding chronicle of man's challenge to the universe and the galaxy's fight for survival. Journey to the Far Side of the Sun from Universal in color is rated G, suggested for general audiences. I'm Sidney Poitier. Last year, the Salvation Army spent Christmas doing what it does best, helping those in need. This year, even more people will need assistance, and your support can make all the difference. For information on what you can do, please contact your local Salvation Army.
Uh, what else we got, Mark, Where, as, as we uh, kind of cruise down memory lane? Well, speaking of, of memories that I don't have from the drive-in, there was a story Jeff told me once that I wanted to, him to share on the podcast about a fire that occurred in the snack bar. Now, there's a specific spot where you can still see physical evidence of this happening the next time you're in our snack bar. Yes, it was in the mid-60s sometime. There was a fire, the uh, old French fryer that we used to have. And by coincidence, we just happened to replace it only about two years ago. Uh, up until then, it was still the same French fry machine, but it caught fire because they had it up too high. They had the temperature up too high. The oil caught fire and there was nobody in the stand at the time. I guess it was after hours. Uh, the movie was still running, I would assume, but there was nobody in the stand anymore. It would have been caught a lot sooner. But this thing caught on fire and it went across the ceiling of the concession stand in the direction of the projection booth. The flames went that way and, well, they went the other way, too. But uh, it left a burn mark across the original ceiling, which instead of trying to erase or to paint over, and I'll be honest, I don't know why they just didn't paint over it, but they put up a false ceiling, which is, it's not a lowered ceiling. It's just they took a, a sheet of plasterboard or whatever and nailed it up onto the original ceiling. So the ceiling is not any lower except by maybe a quarter of an inch. But if you would take that ceiling away, you could still see the burn mark going across the concession stand. Crazy. And now if you go in the back and you go behind the old stainless steel refrigerator towards the big exhaust fan, if you look up, you can see where the timbers are burned. You can see where the roof actually caught fire and has burned the timber away. Kind of spooky, really, when you look at it, thinking the roof was that close to being gone. But uh, they did get it out before it took the whole roof off, but it did burn the timbers, and you can see that in the back. That's amazing that the fire was that long ago because it's 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 damage that I've noticed over the years, but I just presumed it was... Okay, you've seen it then. I, I, I've noticed you've it. You've seen I think, it then. I think you pointed it out to me, and, yeah. and I had pre presumed for some reason that it had happened in the 80s or later, not as far back as the 60s. That's, that's amazing. No, no, it was in the 60s. It was in the 60s, yeah. That's that's long before Joe. That really does show you how little has changed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank God we haven't had to deal with any sort of uh, madness like that. But it is. It's it's the history of this place. I mean, if the walls could talk, <laughs> they'd say, <laughs> oh, I guess boy. wash me. <laughs> yeah. I guess Gene would have been there for that, too. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Mid 60s. Oh, yeah. He would have been here for that. He may yeah. have been the one that told me. I, I really can't remember who told me the story. It must have been Gene. Yeah. Because this was long before Joe had the place. So it must have been Gene that told me about it. So Gene was there from the late 40s until around 2000 or so? His last year was 2000. That's I took insane. over in 2001. That's a hella run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bonk. Sure is. Do you know if he was a projectionist anywhere else, indoor theaters, other drive-ins, or was it solely Mahoning that whole time? No, because he was a member of the union. So back then, if you were a member of the union, you could project at any theater around you that needed you. He was at the uh, Nesquahoning Theater. I know he projected from there. Pretty sure he was, he projected from uh, the Victoria in Lansford. He was there. But there were a couple theaters in the area that he projected at on and off over the years. Yeah. Yum, yum. It's a meal in itself. Our all-meat super dog. Enjoy one now.
It's time to stretch and fetch. See what's cooking at our refreshment counter. You'll find your favorite foods and beverages, plus many new goodies to tempt your appetite and add to your evening's pleasure. Everything's the finest quality. So treat yourself now. One thing I wanted to talk about, uh, funny enough, was, was, was drive-ins. Hey, we love those. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Who knew? We all visit the Mahoning Drive-In Theater in Lehighton, Pennsylvania, on occasion. But, you know, our love of drive-ins grew out of going to other ones before this one. Yeah. So I just thought it might be fun if we just go around and just name another drive-in you've been to and any memory you have of that. Yeah. Drive-in that could still be there or might not be. Bucks County Twin. I mean, that that was kind of my go-to as a kid. I'm trying to think if I if I went to any besides that. Shankweiler's for sure, Becky's for sure. But all the memories that I have with movies and falling in love with movies was all at that that twin. You know, it's funny because so much of my taste in like collecting movies and what I look for when I go out shopping and blah, 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 it's all connected back to the drive-in and those weird movies that I fell in love with then. Some movies that I remember falling in love with at the drive-in, Demolition Man. Saw Demolition Man at the drive-in, blew my freaking mind. God, what played with it? I don't know if it was around the same time, but well, I don't know if it played with it, but around the same time, Rookie of the Year. Do you remember that movie? I do. I'm. I might have seen that at a drive-in. Yeah, that was that was I guess early '90s. But Rookie of the Year is about a kid who breaks his arm. It heals in a certain way that he can throw like crazy, ridiculous fastballs, and he gets he gets drafted by the Cubs. <laughs> like the greatest childhood movie ever. A lot of weird ones. Mom and Dad Save the World. I remember that was one that watching it with my parents they were so like this is the strangest thing ever and i was like this is great spawn i remember seeing spawn as a kid and not liking it uh that's one of the first movies at the drive-in where i didn't have the best experience i don't know if it if it scared me because i remember there was like the big john leguizamo clown i gotta rewatch that movie you know i don't know if i've seen that movie since it initially came out yeah, that's that's where I go to right away. Those are those are ones that pop out. I think I've talked about my Jurassic Park story, trying to get into Jurassic Park multiple times, right? And finally going back and back and back and back. Yeah, Carpool. That's another one that I recently rewatched because I remembered how much I loved it as a kid. Um, some good Tom Arnold gold in that movie. <laughs> can be you know, funny. Tom Tom Arnold had a really tiny window there, but. It's funny because uh, connected to that, this has nothing to do with the drive-in, but I've been rewatching a ton of old Roseanne episodes. Oh my God, man. That show, I, I loved it as as a kid, like growing up. It was, I felt like it was uh, <laughs> kind of a perfect portrayal, but rewatching it, man. Ah, oh, such gold, such gold. Um, but yeah, that pops for me. How about you guys? Well, I've mentioned this before, but when I was young, we went to all the Allentown area drive-ins. We went to Shankweiler's. Becky's was a little bit too far out of our way. We lived close to Allentown, but we went to Shankweiler's. We went to the West End drive-in. We went to the Starlight. We went to the Bethlehem drive-in. We went to the Quakertown drive-in. We went to, uh, oh my goodness, can't think of the name of the town now that it's in, but 
we went to all the area Allentown area and they're all gone except Shankweilers. Every single one of them is gone. And the favorite one, the one we went to the most often was the Super Skyway yes. drive in, which is in Coonsville. Virgil knows this story because I took him there a couple of a few years ago, I'm back several years ago now, but it's just an empty field. It was supposed to be developed. They tore the drive in down, they tore the screen down, and then left it. The building stayed actually long after they tore the ticket booth and the screen down the building the main building was still there for several years but it was empty and kids would break into it and they'd write graffiti all over it and you know i'd go by you know like once a summer and actually go into the building and see what was going on and of course it was falling apart etc cetera, etc cetera. they finally tore it down because hey it's going to be developed it's going to be some kind of a parking lot for semis for uh, tractor trailers and then it never happened. It never got developed. And to this day, it's an empty field. It's just, an, and if you didn't know there was a drive in there, just driving by, you would never know it. But I took Virgil there and I said, you see that big field of grass and weeds over there? That was the Super Skyway drive-in. Yeah, very interesting. In your day and area, you had, it almost sounds like you had as many drive-ins to choose from as theaters. Or it, for, for me, where I grew up, we only had a couple because we were in the middle of nowhere. Oh, no. Allentown, Allentown area was loaded with them. Yeah, at one time. At one time. What was the general driving distance for your family to go to any of these? Were they, were they all roughly the same? 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, not, not real far. 30 to 45 minutes. Now, there is, um, there's an asterisk to you saying they're all gone because one of those yeah. drive-ins the screen still exists and you can see it. Yeah, that's the uh, Union Boulevard drive-in. That, the screen is still there. Uh, the building and the ticket booth are gone. It's nothing but an open field. But the screen is still there. And why it was never taken down is probably number one because of the expense. And the guy that bought the drive-in from whoever owned it after it closed, just decided never to have the screen taken down. And from what I understand is, because I was looking at it not too long ago, I'm like, it's incredible condition, it's in great shape, and it's nicely painted, and I thought, what's going on? And then I found out that this guy built his house at the rear of the property, and he takes his home movie projectors and shows them out of his window and gets the screen with them. So he actually watches home movies and stuff on the drive-in screen from his house. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's the funniest thing I ever heard of. But that's why the screen is still there because he puts his own home movies up there on it. So it, it's just a riot. It's a riot. That's amazing. I was actually thinking of a different one that um, I, I can't think of his last name, but Ed and his wife who were, had dealt with, been involved with the Mahoning for years, stopped in and he was showing us photo albums of old drive-ins that he had been to in the 80s and yeah, 90s. Yeah, he showed them to me too, yes. And he yes. told me about one that's in, in the Allentown area downtown PA, if you're listening to us in Australia, there is a, a drive-in screen that is still intact, but it's in the center of like an industrial park now. You can't get to yeah. it. You can see it from the road and there are all these businesses. There's like an auto museum or something like that, or, or yeah, it's auto storage. The, and yeah, it, that's the that's the Union Boulevard drive-in. That's it. Is that is that the one? Because it's you can drive around the periphery of this property and it's all yeah. like businesses and yep. uh, storage facilities and things. And it looks like a really nice like park you could walk through on the inside with lighting and dr driveways and pathways. And I just keep thinking yeah, this is like ideal for like corporate events or something to have like a DCP projector in there where you could throw things up on that screen for, you know, a private audience, but it's like right in the middle of the city. 
Yeah, that's exactly what he does for his family or for his friends okay. that come over. Yeah, they'll throw a, you know, a home digital projector out of his window and just run movies on the screen. Uh, and it, even back when the drive-in was open, it was still an industrial area. Yeah, there were businesses and factories and stuff all around it, but there were still enough houses in the area that paid to have a drive-in there. And, uh, and of course, people would come from, you know, downtown Allentown all over. So it didn't lack in customers. But when it finally started to slack off, uh, I believe it closed in the 70s at some point. For a while, it just sat there. Then they finally tore the building down because kids were getting into it. Then they tore the ticket booth down. Then there, So there was nothing left. It, they tore the poles out and all the speakers. The only thing that was left was the screen. And that's the way it is today. So if you drive on Union Boulevard and you see that screen, well, that's your drive-in. And the field below it is just an empty field. I mean, I think the guy that owns it now parks his cars there or whatever. But that's about it. Yeah, it was it was just so strange to see. Like we kept taking laps around the property, yeah. it, just like the screen is perfect. And then some of the, the yeah. buildings around it have like a retro feel, like old gas station signs or yep. something like that. That's it. But it's right in the middle of a, a city, which is just yep. it's, it's kind of fascinating. Yep. To That's me. the Union Boulevard drive-in. Wow, what a dream! Just to have your own drive-in screen, just be like, "Hey, I'm balling out." I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What are we watching today? Well, <laughs> that's what he does. He just shines the projectors out of his living room window and hits the screen. Yeah. Too cool. Too cool. The memories run really deep, you know, and we were talking about what our kind of routine is. And I, I, I think what you were getting at, Mark, is kind of like what the, the process is, what you bring with you, what your go-to is, right? What, what's your drive-in ritual? Everybody who goes to a drive-in semi-regularly, you have, you know, where do you park? What spot do you park in? When do you get there? What do you bring with you? Do you sit inside? Do you sit outside? I know I'm yeah. a creature of habit from how I was raised going to the drive-in. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so me I, have, too. I have my way of doing it when I go anywhere. Yeah, well, I think about it, and I feel like it definitely has changed. You know, when I was a kid going with my parents, there were certainly some routines that, that honestly, that it really did cross over and have been mainstays in my life. So going to the drive-in, always we would sit either with the back hatch open, which I remember some of my greatest memories we're going in. Remember those station wagons that had the back facing seat? Oh, yeah. Yep. My aunt had one and it was just like the perfect drive in vehicle because like the kids could all line up in that bench seat. You could pull right up on the hump and the parents could sit right outside either on blanket or chairs. But it, it was never even though I've said many times I've fallen in love with movies from the back seat of my parents car. We rarely watched kind of over their shoulder while they were in the front seat. It was always about getting out, about enjoying the open air aspect of it all. As a kid, I loved, I loved that, you know, and still love that. The idea that you can kind of move about and do whatever you want. It's a sense of freedom. But as far as where we parked when I was younger, always kind of mid back left, you know, and at that time, trying to think the there were projection booths on both screens and there wasn't like a, like in our situation where if you parked behind the projection booth there was a lot of blockage i remember they were really kind of really small buildings to the point where 
hell, it might have just been enough room for the projectionist to get in there, spool up, and then and then uh, get out. Yeah, well, no, you're exa- you're exactly right because I worked for that company. Yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Bucks County Twin, and you're right. Those little cubicles were that nothing could fit in there except the projectors. That was it. <laughs> I always thought it was the craziest thing like you know certainly always kind of middle like we would use that projection booth or projection box <laughs> yeah, that's uh, as, as our guide so it would kind of be there and back but always popcorn always to this day popcorn whenever i'm at the drive-in it's it's a necessity whenever i'm at a movie it's a necessity and it it's people say it's an old man's treat but my dad would always bring goobers he loved goobers and my love of goobers runs really deep (laughs) so that's one that's still to this day if uh if i'm going out to the movies or to the drive-in definitely goobers every single time but now you know now it's a different situation because at the mahoning every time we're there you know i feel like even though i have a set spot you know i don't really have a kind of set movie watching habits. Although last season and the season before, I did have the hammock up by the trailer, which that's a great way to enjoy a movie, especially if you're lucky enough to be able to be front row like myself. Being able to kind of be weightless, swinging in a hammock and watching your favorite movie or, you know, with your munchkin or lady there, it's it's it it's sounds great. really... Yeah, Yeah, it's something really special. So I highly recommend that for anybody who has the opportunity to do that. If somebody broke out a, um, you know, hammock stand in a hammock, we're not stopping them. That's that's totally game at the morning. That's that's pretty uh, creative. We have the people who regularly inflate a large inflatable couch. They come from it's it's one guy. I don't don't know him personally, but he he comes to several events per year and he'll come up to the snack bar and he'll plug in this inflatable couch that has like straps on it. So once he's done inflating it, he like puts it on like a backpack and just walks to the back of a lot with it. (laughs) Looks like some kind of weird Herculean feet. (laughs) Yep. I love when yep. people get creative like well, at that. the at the Riverside yeah. driving at Monsterama, there's a guy there who's been a regular for years and he sets up a full size couch. He he comes a day or so ahead of time and he brings a couch from home and he sets it up <laughs> and he'll sit on a couch and watch movies all weekend. Amazing. Amazing. That's great. I mean, as long as you're That's not taking great. up a spot or blocking a roadway, go for it. Yeah. Right. The, the most creative one that I saw on the uh the lot was like, you know, those kiddie pools that are kind of rectangular shaped, I guess enough for a, a regular person to sit in as well. Somebody brought one of those, inflated it and filled it with blankets. So like the back of it where it was inflated was like a nice pillow. And then they had their feet up out front, all raised. I was like, that is genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You gotta love that. What, one of my favorites, I was at the Milford Drive-In in Milford, New Hampshire, and Somebody, I was just, I, I get there early. Part of my routine is getting there early. And I walk around taking the vibe and somebody had set up an Oriental rug in front of their vehicle, a couch, and then two speakers on stands. And it looked like they had basically set up their living room in the movie screen. <laughs> I moved like, in. Someone likes to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to play. I'll tell you what, because I'm older, I go back a uh, quite a few more years before Virgil. So when I talk about the Allentown drive-ins, you have to understand that all of them were single screen. 
Yeah. I mean, Bucks County Twin was way ahead of its time as far as uh, cutting up a drive in into two, three, four screens, however many. Bucks County Twin was um, ahead of its time in that respect. All the Allentown theaters back when we went to them were all single screen, just like the Mahoning. One big building in the center with the projection booth shining on one screen. Everybody facing the same direction at the same time. And what we would do, it sounds like Virgil's parents and mine parked the exact same. We would always park behind the concession stand a little to the left. Mm -hmm. So right behind the concession stand and a little to the left, no matter what driving we went to. That's always where my dad parked. So we're, we were close to the stand, but we weren't blocked by it because we weren't directly behind it. We were to the left. And that's where we parked. And uh, we would always get there when it was still daylight. I can't ever remember showing up when it was even twilight. They'd always get there uh, when it was still daylight, late afternoon. And yeah. uh, we'd sit there for a while and just talk. Or, you know, as soon as the stand was open, we'd go in and get snacks. And gradually it would get darker and darker and dark. And then finally, of course, you know, they would start to film. But we always got there early. We always got there early. Yeah. That and that's my memory, you know. And then of course, uh, we were little kids, so they, we were in our pajamas already because normally the first movie was for the whole family. And then the second movie of the evening was more for the adults. So the kids, myself included, obviously, at that time, would fall asleep in the back seat of the car. And uh that's uh, what's different from Virgil is my dad always had a sedan or a hard top. He never had a station wagon, never had a van right. or anything like that. So mom and dad in the front seat, me and my brother in the rear seat. And, you know, there was plenty of room between mom's head and dad's head that we could, you know, get to the center of the rear seat and see over their shoulders. And we could watch the movie with no problem. Yeah. And then uh, intermission would come along. We'd watch the intermission reel. And then when the uh, second movie started, which was usually more for the adults, we'd gradually lose interest and we'd just fall asleep in the back of the car. And then I can remember, you know, mom and dad, after the second movie, they'd leave and we were kind of out of it. We were mostly asleep, but I knew the car was moving. And then when we got home, one of us would pick up my brother and the other one would pick up me and they'd carry us into the house and put us in our beds. And there's your drive in evening. So yeah. it was uh, it was what a tradition. Uh, Quite nice, yes. And I can remember movies like you guys have heard me talk about before, about when they had my birthday party at the uh, Super Skyway Drive-In and uh, we saw yeah. Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins yes. for the first time. But That's other movies I can remember from the Allentown Drive-Ins, especially the Super Skyway, The Sand Pebbles with Steve McQueen. Yeah. Yeah. The Gnome Mobile with Walter Brennan. That was a Disney flick. The Castaways which was also a Disney flick, The Thomas Crown Affair. If I thought long enough, I could still remember a bunch of them. But like The Thomas Crown Affair, I fell asleep because that was the second film. It was more for adults, and I never got to see it all the way through. But uh, those are my memories of drive-ins. Those are great ones, great titles. We had one drive-in in my town when I was a kid, the Claremont Drive-In Theater in Claremont, New Hampshire. One town over, like very, very close. 15, 20 minutes, there was the Escutney drive-in. And then I think Newport, New Hampshire, which is again, 20 minutes away, had one. Because I was kind of in the middle of nowhere, you, you had, they were spotty, you know? It wasn't a preponderance. And my parents weren't the type to ever really, the idea of leaving town to go see a movie was kind of foreign. They did go to the Escutney drive-in on occasion because that's where I saw a double feature of Moonraker and the uh, Sean Connery Great Train Robbery back in 79 or so. And, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Which is like, I always say two bonds for the price of one. And I, re I clearly remember seeing Moonraker, which I think is terrible now, but as a kid, it was, it was lasers and outer space and a guy with metal teeth and it was crazy. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, what's even worse, you know, what's even worse. I remember running Moonraker when it was brand new. Oh, I remember amazing. running it. Yeah, it was it was this little drive. I think I've mentioned it before. Is this little drive in in this little town right off the Interstate 91, and they eventually turned into a dirty drive in, and then eventually the they went out of business and the screen burned down, and now there's a church on the ground. And I only really remember going to see that double feature there. I think it was pretty much always the Claremont drive in as a kid, and it had this really cool neon sign. Um, I can still yeah. see it. It was like a pink and purple is my memory of it. Well, and well, tell us what happened to the Claremont. The Claremont drive-in was uh, like so many drive-ins. It's it's a tale off repeated. When it was built, it was on the outskirts of town, but commercial development got closer and closer and expanded more and more until it was on the main thoroughfare of where all the box stores and fast food joints were. It was right next to a shopping plaza that had a Kmart as an anchor store and it had a three screen Claremont triple cinema, which is where I went to see most of the 80s movies of my youth. And eventually the land was sold to become a new Kmart right next to where the old Kmart was. <laughs> so I, uh. I always had this grudge <laughs> against this new Kmart. And I've said before, I always say, you know, I, I never went in there. I never wanted to know about that Kmart. And eventually that Kmart went out of business. So we lost a drive-in and what happened? The damn Kmart went out of business anyway. It was like 40 years later, yeah. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Take that, Kmart. So yeah, yeah, it had this cool, you know, you drove up the, the back of the screen obviously was facing, was, was closest to the road and facing the road. You, the marquee was down below that with whatever titles were playing. And you drove under this overhang that was a bit bigger than ours from what I remember. And I think it had two lanes, though I don't ever remember more than one being used. And I think it had like those yellow bug lights under them from what I remember. I remember yellow bug yeah. lights as being the primar primary lighting source at night there. And we always would park to the left, if you're facing the screen, to the left of the snack bar, uh, maybe even with where the men's room door was. And I think it, the layout was fairly similar right. to our snack bar. So if you use that for reference. So we were maybe three or four rows back from the screen. It was a big screen and my memory is that it was one of those screens that was kind of up up high kind of, so to speak, or the, the bottom of the frame, shall we say. Like so ours, parked, yeah. Yeah, yeah, playground under the screen with lots of rusted, sharp metal edges to get year round, um, or as long as the season was open. So uh, we would go there and it would usually just be my father and I, and uh, we would fill the little red igloo, red and white igloo cooler, which I still have with drinks. Usually we were going, you know, we lived in town, so we had already eaten by that time. So we, I don't ever remember getting food there. I always remember just having some, maybe some drinks, but we were usually yeah. fine. And uh, I would go and play in the playground on occasion. Other than the time I was dragged on the merry-go-round, I think that maybe swore me off the merry-go-round. And, and going on the teeter-totter with a kid who decided to jump off because he thought it was funny and, and give we you all a, went you through know, it, right? A teeter-totter yeah. to me yeah. up the Chattahoochee Canal there. Uh, but, <laughs> but I remember, you know, kids. I always remember looking at the rows of cars in front of us, and there would be kids laying in sleeping bags on the roofs of the cars. And I was always jealous because my father was like, you're going to dent the roof. No. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we sat inside the car. So I was either in the in the passenger seat, in the front seat of the car or in the back seat, because when you're a kid, you can, you know, you're short enough to make that work. I remember yeah. going to right. what became my, my drive in experience was like in two chunks. It was the era of the 80s until the Claremont drive in closed. And then it was rediscovering that when I lived in Keene, New Hampshire, 
45 minutes away, there was the Northfield drive-in, which is on the border of Mass the border of Massachusetts and, and um, New Hampshire actually runs through the drive-in lot. I used to, I started, I found that place out and the nostalgic I had from, you know, a decade earlier, I was started going there all the time. So I saw, you know, a bunch of 80s movies and then a bunch of, you know, mid 90s to early 2000s movies. Uh, you say but, the border runs through the drive-in? Yes. So that's if insane. You, so if you, you can want be on to see the Northfield drive-in on film, uh, the movie The Cider House Rules with Toby McGuire. There's a scene shot at the Northfield drive-in, so you huh. can see. Do they make reference to that? Um, no. The it, fact it, that that literally you could be in two states at once. They used to watch. talk about that. It was owned by the <laughs> the Shakur family for years. They sold it very recently to a younger couple or a younger family who's interested in you know raring to go and let it go for the next 60 years on which which state claims it which state is like this is ours <laughs> i've heard it i've heard it, it said both ways as to where it's located because you can approach it from a couple from two different routes. <laughs> depends which entrance you come in <laughs> it was opened in 48 uh never closed very rural there's like a cornfield across the street so there's there's Beautiful. nothing there's no light pollution there's no noise there's no nothing out there and there's like awesome. big tall trees on either side of the screen and surrounding most of the property, which is pretty great. What I was told was the border runs, when they built it, they knew where the border was and they built the projection booth so that the union, so that the projectionist was standing and working in whatever state where the union rules were more lax. Or like huh? you didn't have to pay him as much or there weren't, there Amazing. wasn't a union. Holy crap. So that, that's what I was told was that it was, it was, oriented in such a way that the projectionist was working in the state where it was easier on business owners. How snide. <laughs> so, the so you would, you would, you're literally, the projectionist would be working in one state and using the bathroom in another state. Yeah. Seriously. You, you, and, and I, I wonder even if, if where the cash register is located is similar because it's the cash register was lined up with the projection booth. So you actually are entering the snack bar in one state and leaving the snack bar with your purchase in another. You're picking up a corn yeah. dog in New Hampshire and you're paying for it in Massachusetts. Or vice versa. I can't remember. How traveling man. But that was like, I think I went to that drive-in probably more than I did the one growing up. You know, I always remember that we went to the drive-in all the time as a kid in Claremont. But if you do the math, and I'm going to do this one day with newspapers.com, I may find out we only went five times. I don't know. But I, I remember we always sat in the car. This was before. Nowadays, everybody sits outside. It's rare for anybody to sit inside the car. Yes. Yeah. You see aerial photos of drive-ins or photos in general, and, and more cars are facing away from the screen than toward because people pop that hatch and, and do it that way. Back in my day, as Jeff said, you know, it's, it was primar primarily normal cars. You know, the, the most right. unusual thing might be a station wagon. And even with pickup trucks, maybe they were doing the backward thing, but I don't ever remember seeing that until the 90s. No, I um, don't either. No. I, I remember seeing the clearest memory I have is walking from the bathroom to the car and that, that ambient sound you would get when every speaker was tuned to the, the film, where it's, it's almost like there's a dome over the drive-in and yeah, it's just that. this ambient whisper of the movie. Yeah. You could still sort of hear it. And I remember seeing yeah. Harry Morgan's face on screen. And I think I it was I think it was the second of the Apple Dumpling. I think it was Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again. Um, we would go often to see Disney movies there. I remember going to see Smokey and the Bandit there with my father. I remember seeing Cannibal Run there with my father. Uh, the Burt Reynolds Ovier was was witnessed there. I remember going to a double of Summer Rental with John Candy and Witness. Yeah, yeah. Best friends, parents, yeah. and they had already seen Witness, and that was the one time we ever left the drive-in before the second movie played. Yeah, I told a story in my my pilot podcast. If you go back, it's like 
in, in the, I think maybe episode seven of this podcast of going to see, I wanted to go to see Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, which is a movie nobody remembers. And it was playing with Honeysuckle Rose, the Willie Nelson movie that On the Road Again came from. Oh, yeah. We did leave before the second movie started there. But I, I, I let anyone who wants to hear that story with, with sound effects go back to episode seven of this podcast. That's where I told that. And that had Luke Skywalker in it, right? Yep. I wanted to see it because the, the TV ads showed Luke Skywalker pulling over yes. a car as an officer of the law and walking up to the door in his polka dot and underwear. And I thought that looked <laughs> I need this. I need this. <laughs> and then years later, I found a video, local video store was going into business. They were just giving giving away their videotapes. And I found both Honeysuckle Rose and Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia on VHS. And I have those. Uh, and I, I want to recreate that double feature in my house. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Night the Lights now. has ever seen a digital release. I think it only ever came out on tape. It's Christy McNichol, you know, it's there's not a huge call for the films of Christy McNichol, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, I went to uh, the Claremont Drive-in a lot, and I loved it. And it was it was always like an event for me. Like I was super excited. I would ask my parents, "Can we go? Can we go?" And if my father would reluctantly say yes, he would either tell me or I knew that meant that I needed to grab the Windex and go out and clean the windshield. That was part of the the tradition before we left the house. Routine. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was good. Okay, get the Windex. Go clean the windshield get the cooler oh, yeah. we would go out and i don't remember how often i survived both movies i think mostly i probably fell asleep before the second movie i think most of the memories i have of whatever the first movie was i remember yeah. seeing um space balls right. there and at the time i don't know if they had done away with speakers this was space balls was what 87 80 something like that that's about when the mahoning speakers were taken out around 86. i went with my uncle and we parked roughly maybe a row back from where we normally would I think that was the last time I went too. We went there and I think it was playing with Poltergeist 2. And I remember it, Poltergeist 2 had, had been out a while and it had also already been on cable. Like I had already seen it on HBO at this point. And it was like, that was the first time I ever saw a print that was really beat up. Like it was jumping from the middle of one scene to the middle of the next, really splicey yeah. and scratchy. And I, I was just like, what is this? And then yeah. uh, Spaceballs came on second. And I remember we had to use the, am radio to listen to it which was yeah i think always an option but we always just used a speaker so it didn't make any difference and i remember the signal was not strong where we were and it was a, a local radio station was bleeding through over the signal so it wasn't yeah. until i saw space balls at home that i realized it didn't have like an all rock soundtrack constantly playing yeah. throughout yeah I'm like where's the where's the where's the guitar lick at this point I that's amazing yeah. Do you guys have any um, kind of staple go-to snacks as far as like things you like to bring or or get at the, the concession lobby? Oh, boy. When I was young, when we went to the drive-ins in the Allentown area, nachos hadn't been invented yet. There were no nachos. Wow. So, yeah. So it was either hamburger or a cheeseburger or a hot dog staples of a drive-in but nothing modern. Like I said, nachos hadn't been invented yet, at least as far as the drive-in was concerned. They didn't have them. Or, right. you know, you get a slice of pizza or something, but just the drive-in staples, and we'd switch off and on between them. For me now, since I was an adult going to the drive-in, it's always a cheeseburger and fries. Um, I, I'm a huge, I'm a big fry guy. So certain, certain drive-ins have fries made the way I like them, and I always make sure I get those. And Sometimes I'll, I'll go back multiple trips because a lot of the drive-ins I've gone to, 
I've traveled the distance because there's a, a marathon, you know, it's it, or it's a it's a weekend show of multiple things. So there's multiple trips and multiple intermissions. So burger and fries are usually at, right out of the gate. Burger, fries, and a Coke, all-American meal, as I call it when I work the register at Arc Driving. And then after that, I might go back in for candy or other more exotic treats, ice cream. Yeah. Right, ice cream, yeah. Yeah, I try to remember back. I know that Bucks County Twin definitely had an ice cream cooler. I remember a lot of hot nights with a chip, which they always had. They always had the really good, like, uh, I call it like novelty ice cream man candies or ice creams. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so, so many amazing memories. And that that's the thing that we love about the drive-in. Everybody has these kind of embedded uh, moments or memories with the drive-in. And it's, it's something that really, really never, never leaves you. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you. So as we rev up for the 2022 season here in the off season, we're certainly going to be keeping you guys informed with all the happenings. I know that uh, we'll be reviewing the calendar very shortly together. Whenever that happens, we know we're getting close. Right. So a lot of fun stuff to look forward to. It's always amazing talking to you guys. Always great taking a trip down memory lane. And and of course, as as we prepare for the 2022 season, you guys can stay in the loop here on the podcast and of course the social medias and at mahoningdit.com. So keep your finger on the pulse. Um, and until next time, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you. <laughs>